This is a sermon that continues the deadly sins that I have been preaching on. To use a baseball analogy, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, in extra innings. I preached on the seven, and now uh, I have gone to the eighth and the ninth. I do plan the tenth and the eleventh. So when I finish, there'll be eleven deadly sins. I hope you can keep track. So I do plan two more sermons after today, but I won't mention what those deadly sins are. It might be a, a good family exercise for you to write uh, your guesses down or your speculations and put them in a hat or save them somewhere and see if you can guess what the next two sermons will be on concerning deadly sins. I suspect you might get one, but the other one, it will be difficult. Today's sermon, though, is on cruelty. Cruelty. I suppose you could look at cruelty as a subspecies of anger, one of the seven deadly sins. I look at it, though, as a species in itself. Angry people are not necessarily cruel people. We can get angry without being cruel. And cruelty can be inflicted without emotion at all. The origin of the word cruel is traceable through French back to Latin. And uh, crudalius is the Latin word, which means unfeeling. One of its meanings is unfeeling. So a cruel person is not necessarily an angry person. A cruel person is a person who does not feel the way you would think a human being would feel in a certain situation. And this leads to cruelty. Uh, the word in, in Latin, of course, means unfeeling, rough, or raw. And today I want you to see why cruelty is a deadly sin and why we must cultivate and promote compassion to suppress cruelty in us and in our societies. My text is found in the book of Exodus. It may be the classical text for cruelty in the Bible. It so happens that this text appears in the book of Exodus, in the heart of the Old Testament. The heart of the Old Testament, just as the Gospels are in the New, the heart of the Old Testament really is found in the Torah. And if there is a kernel in the Torah, it is this passage where we have in chapter 3 of Exodus, God reveals His name, and it continues through to where God delivers His people from bondage in Egypt and gives them the law on Mount Sinai, where God makes covenant with his people. My text is chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, 12. Now about the text, about the text itself. God has revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh in chapter 3. Formerly, God was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in chapter 3, at the burning bush, God reveals his personal name to Moses, Yahweh, something like Yahweh. 
It's called the Tetragrammaton, meaning it's four letters without any vowels, so we don't know how to pronounce it. But in the King James Version of the Bible, they rendered that name Jehovah. And then uh, uh, today, you'll see it in English translation simply as the Lord capitalized. God then has revealed himself to Moses, his personal name. God also has called Moses and also his brother Aaron to go down into Egypt and to lead his people out of the servitude in which they find themselves. Now, down in Egypt, and you remember the end of the book of Genesis, how they got there through Joseph. Down in Egypt, after a while, a new Pharaoh or king arose and began a program of suppression and cruelty. And if you know anything about the history of the Pharaohs, they were very cruel not just simply to the Hebrew people, but to their own people. You can go to the tombs and discover that where the pharaohs are buried, masses of mounts of people are buried with them. So I would say that it was not a blessing to be attendant to the pharaoh. Furthermore, the people of God have become subjected to the cruelty of this pharaoh. The entire society is a cruel society. And it was manifest uh, to everyone. Pharaoh, the title of the king, uh, begins to double down on his attitude toward the Hebrews or the Israelites. And he, and he uh, commands them not only to work long hours. Formerly, he was furnishing them straw, but he got to a place because he was afraid of them, really. He said that they had to make the same quota without the government providing the straw. They had to go find it themselves. An almost impossible task to make bricks. Now, it says in verse 5, and I want you to hear this in chapter 6. I have heard, God says, the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. It means, in this case, that more and more, they're not their own. Enslavement here is progressive. Verses 6 and 7, we find the words, they are under the yoke of the Egyptians, and in this case, primarily the government. In verse 9, their labor was harsh. A word appears there, which is a good and important word, axar, which means violence. There was violence being done to them. Cruelty, in a real sense, is always a kind of violence. It may not inflict stripes, physical stripes, but it can inflict emotional stripes as well. There is a tendency of translators not to really use the word cruelty, but to use the word violence. And that's all right, because it's a good equivalent. Now, I have a one point to make first, and it is this. Societies can be organized in such a way or develop such a culture that you might characterize the society as a cruel society. This was a cruel society. Not only the way that it was organized and governed, it just simply was a society that had developed cruel, if you will, national traits. You say, well, that's, that's unkind, Pastor, to, to say that about a people. Well, it is the truth. 
Some societies are simply more cruel than others. Cruelty was a way of life in Egypt at this point. Now, it was particularly, particularly uh, aimed at the Israelites. But the whole society was cruel. If you would have been living back in that time, you, you, you would have nothing of the life that you have today in a free society. Uh, Marlene and I have been watching uh, some of the uh, dramatizations of Charles Dickens' uh, famous works. And uh, uh, we, we started Friday night watching Oliver Twist. And it brought back to mind that Charles Dickens was concerned about the cruelty that was in Victorian life toward women and children. And a lot of his novels are written to expose that. And there was a kind of cruelty toward children, an unfeelingness toward them that would be shocking to many of us today. Now, I do know and believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has mitigated and and largely corrected that kind of thing, this overt harsh cruelty in, in uh, modern Western societies. But, uh, but the periods in our lives, we have to admit that they were more cruel than other times. And let me go on to say something that, uh, if Dan records this, it might get me in trouble. Uh, societies that are under Sharia law are particularly cruel. Societies that are under Sharia law are particularly cruel. Muslim law. The law itself is cruel. The, 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 the punishments that are meted out, for instance. You can go to some countries where Sharia is the law of the land and you'll find people with a missing hand or arm. And that means that they stole something. The punishments can be quite severe and harsh. In Afghanistan, for instance, there's a certain cruelty toward animals. Long before we ever got engaged, I, I saw a documentary on the way that they fought dogs in Afghanistan. It was a national way of life. A national way of life. Well, one of our football players, uh, Vic, by the last name, got into trouble for dog fighting. People don't like to see animals treated in a cruel way. But some societies are simply organized in such a way that they're more cruel than other societies. And we should not forget that. Uh, societies uh, that develop compassion in a real sense, I believe, have more often than not had the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to enter into that light and that society into their life. Word of caution, though, uh, cruelty, uh, while it can be connected uh, in a societal way, there's no mistake about it, we're, we're not talking here when we talk about the remedy as being compassion to be just kind of a sentimental uh, a compassion or a compassion that is permissive. That is not what I'm aiming for, so hang with me. The second point I want to make you see in this chapter is this in the book of Exodus that Pharaoh is particularly cruel toward individuals and certain individuals. He, he is the same Pharaoh who issued the decree to kill all the Hebrew children under a certain age. 
This is the same Pharaoh that hunted down Moses when he identified with his own people. Cruelty on the individual level uh, means this, that Pharaoh himself was simply a cruel man. And no doubt the, 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 the main reason that that society was cruel was because of one man. We've seen this in our own history, modern history. We've seen it. Saddam Hussein was quite a cruel man. I don't know whether you have read his history or not. Fidel Castro has exhibited a great deal of cruelty toward certain people in his society. And so one individual with power can change an entire society. But I'm talking today when I speak to you as Christians on the individual level. In verse 18, we see that uh, this particular passage. And I'm going to look at verse 5 where, where Pharaoh doubled down on the people and made them work extra hard. It's in chapter 5, verse 18. And so while we have these kinds of examples, we also must talk about the individual. And individual manifestation of cruelty sometimes can be quite, quite horrendous. If you were to Google Missouri bully, and you might try it, you will come up with one name. If you Google Missouri bully, you will come up with a name. And this particular name of this man is rather legendary and famous because in 1981, uh, this particular man was shot dead by a town and no one, no one turned anybody in for it and the crime is unsolved to this day. Now, why was Ken Rex McElroy of Skid, Skidmore, Missouri, shot by the town? He had bullied people for two decades. He had wrestled cat cattle. If anyone crossed him, he would park outside of their house or their ranch with his shotgun and he would stay there for days. He would go into the town saloon with his M1 rifle. And if you said a word to him, he, he would at least beat you up, if not shoot you. He had gotten off all of these kinds of behaviors, gotten off from the law time after time after time. Finally, the town was fed up. And on a particular day when he was convicted for shooting uh, a town merchant, he came back to harass the people again and to bully them. And while he was sitting in his pickup truck, about 50 or 60 men gathered around. Two shots were fired into his truck. He was struck by two different uh, people, and he was found dead. Not one person told who did the shooting. That was a bully who finally ended in a drastic way. Now, that's quite an, a, a dramatic example. But when I'm talking about bullying, and I want to apply it to you, I'm not talking about those extremes. You're not Pharaoh, and you're not McElroy. But you know what I discover? That we sometimes can be very cruel to each other. Let me say that a person who is a bully is, by nature, a cruel person. Now, think about that for a moment. 
bullying in itself is a kind of cruelty. Do you use that tactic, by the way? To stay angry with someone and try to manipulate and control them is a type of bullying. It's cruel. There's nothing good about it. There are people who try to control other people by anger. Let me say, we've had very few divorces over the years in this church, two or three. It's amazing. But in two of the cases, it had to do with one person trying to control others through their anger and silent treatment. It's kind of bullying. And that, you might say, is a kind of cruelty. Now, when we begin to talk about things on this level, we see that maybe all of us have certain tendencies. I had my daughter one time years ago to call me a bully. It hurt me more than anything else in my life, I think. And uh, I haven't forgotten it. Because I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. That's not what God has called us to be, is it? I don't want to bully a spouse or a child, do you? I don't want to stamp my feet and insist every time that I get my way. That's a kind of cruelty, if you want to know the truth. Now, let me say why. It's because bullying is the opposite of compassion. If, if bullying is a kind of cruelty, it means it's a kind of heartless act. What compassion is, is getting a heart. Being able to feel toward other people, with them and for them. Compassion is the only way, to, if we cultivate it, to really deal with this kind of tendency in our hearts and lives. You are not, of course, when I prepared this sermon, a Pharaoh or even a McElroy from Missouri. But we do do things to each other. And we do behave in certain ways toward each other that we might characterize it as being heartless and insensitive and indifferent. And I just went back and looked at some of the verses in the scripture concerning compassion. It says Jesus looked out on the crowds with compassion. Compassion. He was characterized by compassion. He wept on one occasion out of compassion. The Old Testament talks about God being full of compassion. And we are exhorted, if you will, that our bowels might be full of compassion. That's a strange idiom. Bowels of compassion. Your inwards were associated with compassion, meaning that whatever it was came from within. It must be right. It must be there. It must be genuine. And so compassion is a feeling with and for others. And the Lord is said to be full of compassion. And compassion always has a partner. And this partner might be kind of like a barometer that tells you that there's compassion there when mercy is extended, rightly extended. The scripture says God is full of compassion and he's full of mercy. In Psalm 78, 38, it says, yes. Yet, speaking of the Lord, he is merciful. He forgives their iniquities 
and he did not destroy them. It goes on to say, he remembered that they were flesh. You know, I am thankful for parents that did not deal with me in a way that took into account all of my sins. I am thankful for parents growing up that cut me some slack when I most needed it. I think it was my salvation. Because I was a bit of a rebellious kid at certain points. And I think my mother and father knew how to handle me. And it was not through harshness. I could always see compassion. I can remember one time being very low and I knew one thing in life. When I didn't know the Lord, I knew that my mother and my father loved me and they were on my side. Isn't that a wonderful thing for a child to feel? That my mother and my father love me and they are for me. That is what God is. This God who sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem the world is full of compassion and mercy toward us. Even when we were weak, he remembers our flesh. I'll close with this. Compassion must always be wise and properly directed. I'm not talking about permissiveness here. And I'm not talking about letting everything just go. Not at all. We would have a terrible society if we didn't have a wise and just compassion. But therefore, the scripture says in Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he commands us, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A compassion rightly formed and directed is a power that brings redemption and grace to societies. The Sunday school movement in England may have saved that society. A compassion rightly, rightly, and wisely formed and directed is the power that can transform your lives and those around you. Compassion is simply gaining a heart. Gaining a heart. Oh God, give us hearts that we might, if you will, look on the things of others and not simply upon ourselves. Amen.